This podcast is brought to you by GG Poker. GG Poker won huge tournaments and hold the Guinness World Record for the largest prize pool for an online poker tournament. As the world's biggest online poker room, GG Poker are making poker fun again. GG Poker offers exciting game formats and software features that aren't available anywhere else. So why play anywhere else? Plus, if you're new to GG Poker, get £60 free play when you make your first deposit of £10 or more. Players must be 18 plus. Full terms and conditions apply. Please see ggpoker.co.uk for details. BeGambleAware.org. Please play responsibly. Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown with three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown. You get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. Podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. At Discount Tire, we know your time is valuable. Get 30% shorter average wait time when you buy and book online. Did you know Discount Tire now sells wiper blades? Check out our current deals at discounttire.com or stop in and talk to an associate today. Discount Tire. Let's get you taken care of. At Discount Tire, we know your time is valuable. Get 30% shorter average wait time when you buy and book online. Did you know Discount Tire now sells wiper blades? Check out our current deals at discounttire.com or stop in and talk to an associate today. Discount Tire. Let's get you taken care of. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This week on The Marketer's Report, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, direct-to-consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeart Media gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Welcome to A Celtic State of Mind, I'm Paul John Dykes and today I'm joined by Natasha Miko for the Axon Bulletin. Welcome back Natasha after uh, the weekend where you covered the game for us at Easter Road. No Lawrence, obviously there's no other Lawrence. things to be doing on a Tuesday that doesn't involve the Axon Bulletin. So, I um, have no idea how he can have better options than being on here but there we are. 
Now, talking of better options, I do have some concerns about Eddie Howe. Um, today, the big story on Sky Sports is that Roy Hodgson has officially announced that he's departing Crystal Palace. We kind of expected it, but it's now official. This is a manager who has an illustrious coaching managerial career, which actually started off at Arbroath. His first coaching uh, role was at Arbroath, believe it or not. Um, although you don't see that on Wiki. I don't know if he's tried to hide the fact, but um, <laughs> he's obviously had a, a big, big career. He's gone instantly. Who's linked to the job? We've seen Eddie Howe linked to the job. Um, and I'm looking through all the different kind of reasoning behind why he's not been announced as Celtic manager. There's lots of pundits out there, Natasha, who are confident mm -hmm. that Eddie Howe has the job. Now, mm -hmm. if that's the case, you're then left to wonder, is it due to this unfinished business at Bournemouth? We're waiting on X, Y and Z. Um, what will, will happen if Bournemouth actually win promotion um, this uh, pre-season? What if that happens? Does that affect anything? And anyway, if Eddie Howe is the man, why do we not just announce that? I think there's going to be a few different reasons. Um, the one that I'm hearing that seems to be legitimate and gaining a bit of traction is that there are ongoing contractual obligations to Bournemouth um, it's been suggested that he's on some sort of garden leave which I think is probably not the case what's likely to be the case is that even if his employment has terminated with Bournemouth there are still certain clauses that can be included in an employment contract that continue after termination Right. and I wonder and what's been hinted at is that there's some of these in place which it's known as restrictive covenants basically preventing him from getting another job or competing or soliciting staff for a set period of time. So there is a skill of thought and it is a possibility that how is still contractually obliged to Bournemouth in terms of these restrictive covenants, which means that he's not free to take up another job for a set period of time after his departure from Bournemouth. Even if that's not the case, what he might not be free to do is work with staff from Bournemouth for a set period of time or solicit them away from Bournemouth. So it's likely that there's these sort of contractual obligations in place that Celtic are at the moment trying to negotiate how out of. So there might be some discussion with Bournemouth going on there. From a Celtic point of view, if you're going to try and release someone from these obligations and get them to you now, it's going to cost money. So if, if these are in place and we are just speculating what could be the case is that Celtic might have to pay a sum of money to Bournemouth or they just wait until this restriction expires and not have to pay money to Bournemouth you know no. so it could, it could be that it could be a bit of debate over whether they do pay the money just to get him announced if he's not going to start until you know the summer anyway why not just wait equally it might be how waiting on his, his backroom team Look mm. at the position Bournemouth are in at the moment. All these employees who are working for Bournemouth, the coaches, the staff, the physios, who he might want to bring to Celtic, are likely to have clauses in their contracts saying that if we get promoted, your wages triple, quadruple, who knows? So if you were them, would you not be waiting to see how Bournemouth progress before then negotiating any salary with Celtic? because then Celtic might have to pay out more money to compensate for the fact that these staff at Bournemouth are potentially giving up the opportunity of quadrupling their wage on promotion. So there's a lot of contractual pieces of a jigsaw, you know, coming together here. Mm. Like I said, this is all speculation. Speaking as fans, we don't know the contractual position with Eddie or Bournemouth or anything, but 
there's a lot of rumours that this is what's in play and that might help explain it. Well, we're certainly speaking to the right person when it comes to <laughs> the employment side of things, Natasha, and that is very interesting to consider because I think there's a lot of fans like David Bradley who are looking at how the uh, news is developing today. Uh, Roy going at Palace a bit worried now. Uh, I also think that, you know, some people of a certain vintage have scars of deals looking as though they're over the line and at, at the last minute them, them kind of faltering. And I think... Uh, Fairly recently, we've seen something similar uh, in respect of the Ronnie Dyla deal. You know, so we didn't expect Ronnie Dyla to be the manager. He was part of a wider plan, and the, the chap who we had in mind for the manager, and it was Roy Keane back then. Um, you know, that whole deal fell flat quite late on in negotiations, and that's my biggest concern because mm-hmm. maybe it's because of the season we've just had. Because normally I'm a very positive individual, but maybe it's because of the season that we've just endured. I'm now thinking, what on earth happens if we don't get Eddie Howe? You know, that is a big consideration for me at the moment. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking around and I'm looking at, you know, John Kennedy and the job that he has done. Totally uninspiring, if you ask me. I don't think that mm. he would inspire um, a vast number of the Celtic support. And I've got to also caveat that. I that by saying, Natasha, I don't speak for every Celtic fan out there. Um, but my opinion would be that he wouldn't inspire me, John Kennedy. Mm. But we may go so far down the line uh, uh, trying to get our number one option that we have to panic at the last minute. That's my big concern. Is that something that you're considering or is that just because we've been battered all season and the kind of confidence is quite low? I don't know. It would be very typical Celtic to not get someone over the line at the last minute. We look at, even when we're looking at players, when we're looking at McGinn, we're looking at Tony, we're looking at Turnbull first time round, then looking at Roy Keane when he was appointed, meant to be appointed manager and it was Dyla. For some reason, we seem to get very, very, very far down the line with someone and then it not come off. I don't know why that is. I don't know why the negotiation seems to break down at that stage or whose involvement that it is that causes such a breakdown in the negotiation at such a final stage and why it's happening so regularly. I would hate to see this happen with her. And I think the concern that the Celtic fans have is all these examples that I've just given. It wouldn't be out with the realms of possibility for Celtic to, to throw a negotiation that far down the line. And the issue then is, if not how, then who? Mm. Because there's no real front runner left once we've taken Howe out of the equation. Celtic fans seem to be very set on it being Howe. The media, even within the media, it seems to be like a sort of well-kept secret that it is going to be Howe and they're simply waiting on an announcement. So if everyone is expecting it to be Howe and it isn't, I don't know where that leaves you. And I think Celtic have let this go on for so long without quashing any rumour, which they could easily do by leaking to newspapers like they do so regularly. They could quash any rumour of her if they needed to. They've let it go on for so long, it makes me think it will be fine. And they must know that letting it go on so far and letting the fans' hopes get so high to not deliver her now would see even further disillusionment from the fans and they really can't afford that at the moment. So I think I think they'll get them. Um, I think it'll just be, like I'm saying, a matter of time. But I can completely understand why everyone's getting a little bit concerned and frustrated at the slow progress, especially when we see other clubs like Crystal Palace making movements. That's only going to unsettle the fans more and thinking, well, what if how it does go to Crystal Palace? Mm. You know, 
if it's red tape, if we're jumping through hoops and there's a, an agreement of sorts, although not a contractual one, then great. And I understand why the club can't, uh, you know, liaise with the fan base. But there is a, a message coming through here from Patrick Murphy. Now, I know that yesterday's mm-hmm. bulletin delved deep into the, you know, the fans forum and also the communication the club have had with the groups. And some of those groups have made public their uh, dissatisfaction with um, the, the actual forum side of things and that's fine we won't go too deep on on that side of things but it is relevant to bring up Patrick Murphy who says reports from Paul and Kev on fan meetings have given me the fear sorry Patrick Uh, they appear clueless I hope you mean the club and not us Uh, maybe a bit (laughs) of both Celtic have never addressed how rumours they're in perfect position to call it speculation if it doesn't happen the thing with that is we have obviously heard uh, a discussion before one of the games on Celtic TV around Eddie Howe gave us a, a wee bit a kind of a boost at the time uh, Stephen Welsh has also spoken about Eddie Howe in the last couple of days and that's absolutely fine but yes the communication I've got to say it's been covered in, in great depth so I'm not going to go too much into it but I was left a bit baffled, I've got to say, because I did expect, you know, not an all singing, all dancing affair with Dominic Mackay, but I did expect far more positivity around uh, that discussion. It was very much like, we're in this situation, how do we get out of it? Now, Mm. I know that there's such uh, an amount of things that they can't discuss with fans, I know that. Um, But in such a, a scenario, I would have expected them to fill us with confidence and that was the biggest issue Natasha I came away from that mean thinking are they really as rudderless as they appear I really hope they're not mm-hmm. um, and then I think well let's say they are let's say that you know all the way through this season they were totally complacent and I think that that was the case uh, they thought they could throw some money at the, the squad keep all the top earners and all the top players and we'll be fine. We'll have enough to beat everybody and win the 10 in a row and everything will be great. And we know what happened. And, um, you know, we're not going to go through that. There's no post-mortem because we've been doing it all season, Natasha. We know all the reasons why it went wrong. But surely they can't be sitting there thinking, oh, didn't see this happening. How do we sort this? You know, they can't be in a situation. And if they are, then had they communicated... Had they given us the engagement we've been crying out for all season, then that massive gap between their thinking and where we are would have been shortened by some distance if they had known, and I don't mean one individual, I don't mean one group, but if they had been engaging with us all season, and not just that, so all the other groups of fans, then surely they would have been better prepared for where we are just now. I mean... It's absolutely baffling, the communications that were coming out of that meeting. Kevin Graham describing it as the worst meeting he has ever attended yesterday's show. Just, yeah, I agree with the comment that that filled me with fear as well. And maybe Mackay hasn't had the opportunity to take hold of it yet. Obviously, we know that he's not in position yet. He's just there to get involved and learn, and it's still Peter in charge. But the fact that Mackay offered nothing at this meeting other than some platitudes and some terrible phrasing really concerns me. The club sort of framed this as a, you know, consultation. They said that they were going to consult with fans on added value. They said that this is going to be a discussion why did they not come to the table with any suggestion? Why is it taken till now for them to say, well, what should we do about this? As if putting the onus on the fans. 
And even then, the fans, in terms of Celtic shared and Celtic trust, who did come up with a proposal, they don't appear to be dealing with. That doesn't appear to be on the table. So if they've no ideas of their own, they're not going to engage with the fan groups who did come up with ideas. I don't really see how they've got themselves into this position. We knew that this was coming. Halfway through the season, it began to look very unlikely that the fans were ever going to get back into the stadium. They knew that they were going to need to come good on this added value promise. Why it's taken till now, and they're all sitting around with no suggestions as to what this could be and no information as to what it could be. Honestly, it's mind-blowing. I don't understand how they've let it get to this position and how they think that it's acceptable for it to be at this position. The season's now over. Someone pointed out on yesterday's show, in six weeks' time, the direct debits will start coming out for next season. Mm. We know nothing about who the new management team will be. We know nothing about the direction the club are heading in. We know nothing about the value that we're going to get back on last year's tickets, if any. That's a really difficult position to then, apparently by the end of the month, be asking the fans to put their hands back in their pocket and fund another season ticket. It's a tough sale. It's a, it's a really tough sale. It's a really hard sale. And I know a lot of fans will be in a position where they'll pay anyway. A lot will. A lot will just happily pay the money and buy their season ticket regardless. But that's for me shows a sense of entitlement on the board. I mean, the fans get accused of being entitled and used to winning and, and all of this. But for me, it's the board that are entitled. They assume that we are going to turn up quietly pay them our money and go away without complaining that's entitlement if they think that that's going to continue to happen and mm. well yes absolutely some fans will continue to pay and will continue to turn up regardless of whether there's any refunds or value whatever we need to respect that there's fans who aren't in that position and there's fans whose financial positions are difficult as a result of the difficult last 18 months that we've had and so what i would say is to the fans who say We'll just pay anyway. We'll just turn up, you know, have all my season book money. Think of the fans who aren't in that position. Think of the fans who are struggling and are relying on some form of refunds from last year or some sort of discount going forward. Even if you're in the position, the very fortunate position of being able to fund your season ticket next year, think of the significant number of people who won't be. And not only that, the club need to think about these proportion of people who won't be. (laughs) The people in that meeting give a significant portion of their monthly wage to Celtic and the people dictating that meeting take a significant wage from Celtic. So we're all Celtic fans, but we're all in very different positions and I think that the club just aren't recognising that enough. No, you're right. This entitlement, you know, the word crept in uh, when describing Celtic fans this season and we, we kind of called that out throughout the season, Natasha, because I just felt it's not an entitlement um, to have standards for your football club. And when the standards slip, as they undoubtedly did this season, from a very early stage of the season, then you've got to question it and you've got to challenge it. But as soon as the Celtic fans did that, we were being being called entitled. And I think I put a tweet out just um, maybe at the weekend, actually, where you know I kind of flipped that because I felt as though the board were acting in, in that way, in an entitled manner. Um, just to go back on your point there, you know, going out and renewing your season tickets, great if you're able to do it, but to expect, and there was an expectancy, because as soon as the first uh, person who commented at that meeting stated, mm-hmm. I'm going to renew multiple tickets from my household and you should all do the same. The, the, the actual comment that was made by the chair of the meeting was, that's what we like to hear. Now, 
he might have been trying to say that in a tongue-in-cheek kind of way, but it didn't come across like that. And if he was, then he needs to know his audience because the Celtic fan base at the moment are so frustrated that every single thing that's said, you're going to analyse every word. You're going to analyse every single word. I described it as doom and gloom via Zoom because that's what it <laughs> felt like. That was the first time I ever attended a fans forum. Um, I wasn't invited I was able to attend via a friend of mine, uh, so I, I didn't partake or, or participate in any way, shape or form. Going, going forward, I certainly would, and it would be in consultation, I, I guess, as well, Natasha, with the Axom um, kind of audience. You know, I'd be asking, what kind of things do you want us to raise here? And we would be doing it, you know, on behalf of uh, anybody who wants to raise the points. So... For me, when I'm looking at some of the things that um, people commented on, one of them was Dominic Mackay's insistence on using the term noisy neighbours. How right was he, by the way? And we'll come back to that because that was in advance of the weekend. Um, But yes, it's one of these things where we are one club, uh, we're, we're half of nothing, Right, we're not half of anything, and I think we really need to to start, uh, you know, actually aspiring to be the club that we continually tell the supporters that we are. Um, so, if we want to talk about values, as Jim Moore has uh, mentioned many, many times this season, then we just need to look at ourselves. We need to sort out our own backyard. The engagement element, and I always try to be as balanced as possible. The club are actually going to be engaging with the Celtic State of Mind on Thursday. And hopefully we'll be able to build a relationship where in terms of not just access, Natasha, but that will be part of it. In terms of engaging with the club, that will improve as next season goes ahead. We've made some inroads this season, but I'm hoping that we can access the club far more going forward. And I believe that that is no coincidence that that's happening with the incoming Dominic Mackay as well. I think he's had a big part to play in this change, this shift of, of attitude towards fan-based media like ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. You know, by what all accounts, Dominic Mackay is big on fan engagement and things like that. So now I want to see it in practice. I don't believe any of the meetings that we've that we've heard, you know, the the fans forum meeting or the, the one before that, I don't believe they were great examples of engagement. So what I want to see from Mackay going forward is his own idea of what engagement is and for him to show us what he's all about in terms of that. And do you know what else? It'll be mutually beneficial. It'll be beneficial for the club to have that level of engagement and it'll be beneficial for the fans to have that level of engagement. And having those two sort of more aligned will help fix this disillusionment that we see at the moment among the fans. So it can only be a positive. We're not asking, we're not asking, Celtic Trust aren't asking, the affiliation aren't asking, none of the supporters group are asking to have, you know, consultation and a say in all the decisions of the club. You know, we're not going to ask for a vote on the new manager or any of their board meetings. But what we are going to ask for is to be engaged with and to be discussed with directly and for the club just to be a bit more open and transparent about some of the things they do. We don't want to find out about it through newspapers and leaked sources and pundits. We want the club to have that relationship with the fans where we do discuss things directly. It's difficult. I know we're a large fan base and I know that that sort of communication is going to be impossible. You look at clubs like Partick Thistle, for example, and one thing they do regularly is have the manager, the chairman, the CEO, whoever, in a room with the fans, taking questions, having a mm. discussion. Mm-hmm. That's not very easy from a Celtic point of view because of the size of the fan base. So those 
things like the fans forum try and address that. But what I want to see from Mackay is his innovation in terms of accepting, yes, this is a massive fan base. How do I engage with that? And how do we have proper communication channels between these groups? And I'm not here to give him the answers. I want him to have the answers. He's meant to be great at engagement. Come and tell us how you are going to engage with us and how it's going to improve the relationship between the fans and the club. I've always felt that, um, you know, there could be more engagement, uh, Natasha, with the fan base. I mean, you take a simple thing. Every single pre-season now, there's a massive launch of kits. Now, these kits, times three, every single season, are being sold to us the punters, the the fans, the season ticket holders. Yet, um, I've only heard of one occasion where there was consultation with a a fan base. And it was very much generic. It wasn't, you know, presenting you with four different options and saying, what do you think would work? Because we're the people that actually buy these jerseys, if not for yourself, then for your nephews and nieces and kids and all this kind of stuff. And I remember Kevin Graham, in actual fact, telling me that at a similar kind of meeting, when it was in person, um, they were speaking to some kind of brand expert who was working alongside New Balance, it was at the time, who were trying to pitch, believe this or not, that Celtic might conceivably have a blue away kit. And New Balance were trying to sell this idea at one of these forums. This is true, you know. And it just showed you how far out of touch they were. And that wasn't a million years ago. That was during the nine-in-a-row campaign. That was under Brendan Rodgers. And they were trying to say, well, but, you know, blue sports jerseys sell X amount more in the States than green and white ones or, you know, some of the various other colour schemes we've had, yellow away jerseys, black away jerseys. Incredible. But it happened and it happened at one of these forums. And it just shows you the the actual, um, you know, this vortex that uh, these ideas go into and without even consulting with the Celtic fans. A worse kind of example of that, or was it? Um, Probably, yeah, because it went into play, was under Terry Cassidy whereby there was obviously no consultation with fans. He did whatever he wanted. He was a chief executive way back in the 90s. He was the first guy that gave Peter Lowell a job at Celtic, by the way, uh, back in the 1990s. And he did a deal with People's Ford, which allowed red, white and blue in the front of the green and white hoops. And, um, you know, the the outrage at that time. Um, and even yet, when you look back, red, white mm-hmm. and blue, you know, no way at that time would Rangers at that stage would have had green, white and gold or green, white and yellow um, on their green, white and orange on their jersey. Absolutely no no chance. Uh, but it showed you how touch that guy was. And I sometimes wonder, although things have come on leaps and bounds since then, Natasha, just how close that gap is, because I'm, I'm not sure it's getting any closer. And I'm hoping yeah, that Dominic Mackay changes that. Yep. I can't remember which club it was um, down south. Was it Chelsea? Someone will remind me in the comments, who are going to have a fan at their board meetings. Mm-hmm. Um, not not in terms of having a vote, not in terms of being a director, just having fan presence at the board meeting just to provide that element to it. Now, I think what Peter Lawwell and Dermot Desmond and the likes will say to that is that they are Celtic fans. But we've discussed at length how they are quite out of touch with the, the everyday Celtic fan. I think it's a great idea to have that sort of representation at the decision-making process, mm. not to have a vote, but simply to offer a red flag if if the board are going way off tangent and the, the fans can see that and stop it at that early stage. And, you know, it's just a case of having someone there at these meetings to put their hand up and say, 
listening to that idea, the fans will hate that. Yeah. Just making them aware. It doesn't mean that they have to not do it. It doesn't mean that they have to change their thought process. Just making them aware of what a fan feeling will be on that. Now, like we've said, there is no one Celtic fan who can represent the entire fan base. We're all different. We all have our own views. But we could have someone, a group of people, a collective available for these meetings who are able just to make sure that the Celtic ship is not being steered away from our values and what we think our club should stand for. Um, so I think that the club in England, Chelsea, doing that is is a great idea. I'd like to see Celtic consider that as part of better engagement because I think, again, it's coming back to that mutually beneficial thing. The club could be prevented from making some absolute howlers. Maybe yeah. we, someone there in these meetings could prevent them completely dropping the ball on some of these things. And then the fans would be prevented from the club making these howlers. So again, mutually beneficial and I think it's a good idea going forward. I can just imagine you and Natasha sitting at that boardroom table with a hand up saying, about that blew away jersey, Dominic. <laughs> but exactly. I, I remember having a discussion um, during the uh, putting together of my Celtic jersey book, which has actually taken six years, almost as long as Celtic um, have taken to announce a new manager. And um, we were talking to the club about getting a very difficult-to-find jersey, not one from the 30s or the 40s, because this is all match-worn stuff. It was actually the away kit, Natasha, that was silver and pink. It had a pink coveat on it, right? And the reason it was difficult to find is because we never wore it. So we couldn't get a match-worn jersey because we'd never worn it in a game. And I remember they were able to supply it and I went through to Celtic Park with a photographer to take a picture of it. And during that discussion, they were saying that there was something like 15,000 of them in storage because they couldn't shift it. I mean, what did they do with them? They would have been difficult to move. And I think if you asked a 1,000 Celtic fans, a 100 Celtic fans, their opinion on that jersey before it went into production, they would have given you their view on it, and it might have been a bad idea to go ahead with it. Um, By the way, again, I'm sure there are Celtic fans out there who love that shirt, but it probably was one of the least successful Celtic jerseys in terms of sales. No, it it wasn't a Celtic jersey. That was, you know... Did, did I hate it in terms of a top? You know, the grey and the pink is kind of the colour scheme I've got going on behind me. You'll see I didn't hate it in terms of a top, but it's not a Celtic jersey, you know. And a fan present just at that decision-making process to say, you're going so wrong here, could have prevented that from happening. I know, it is quite a concern. Uh, shameless plug for the book as well, but there you go, it might be out at some point <laughs> this year. Um Big shout out, actually. I got a message just this morning. Uh, I would like to say hello to John Allen from Cumbernauld. John watches the Axon Bulletin, Natasha. He has recently retired and he has been filling an hour of his day watching Axon. So welcome to the show, John. Delighted you're enjoying it. And hopefully we can talk about more positive things going forward next season because there's been a lot of doom and gloom over the last year. Now, um, Ewan Stars, who comments quite a bit, thanks for getting involved, Ewan, you're commenting on YouTube, says this is going to be the biggest rebuild in the club's history if we don't start it soon and announce a new manager. This could be the worst rebuild ever in Celtic's history. My big concern about that, and I'm like every other Celtic fan, I'm reading all the, the gossip, um, the comings, the goings. We know that Luxalt and Kenny are gone. I don't think they'll be coming back. Um, we've been linked with people like uh, Sariki Dembele. Now, this is an interesting one because he's the brother, the elder brother of Karamoko, and he used to play for the Jimmy Johnston Academy. 
out of Cathkin Park. Very useful player in actual fact, but he's out of contract. But uh, the reason I bring that one up is Peterborough. You may be familiar with Dara McAntony, who owns the club. Um, Dara is going to be appearing on Celtic State of Mind in the next couple of weeks, where he is going to be discussing Celtic's uh, future in relation to a British Super League, Natasha. So, very interesting chap. Um, And that will be an interesting chat as well. He's a big Liverpool fan. I'll see what he thinks of Celtic's uh, proposal to join a British League. We'll see what he says about that. Lewis Ferguson. Yeah, and by the way, I don't know if you've ever mm. seen him on Sky Sports, but he adds some real charisma to what is often quite a dull performance on, on the news bulletins. He comes in and he's blunt. He just says it like it is. So I'm looking forward to chatting to him as well. Yeah, look forward to hearing it. Now, the rebuilds. Uh, Lewis Ferguson from Aberdeen. Uh, Aaron Hickey coming in from Bologna. We already made 300 grand off of his move. I could go on. Odson Edward uh, being chased by Brendan Rogers. It goes on and on and on. Now, with so many comings and goings, what I'm going to be asking, even if we bring in Eddie Howe, and I'm trying to remain positive about that, Natasha, um, even if we bring in Eddie Howe, one pre-season is not going to be enough, is it? I mean, you're going to need a magic wand to turn that around in one pre-season. I mean, two months ago, we were saying we were short on time. So I have no idea what we are now. Very, very, very short on time. There's far too much needing done before the qualifiers, before the start of next season. And not to, not scaremongering, it's something that's been brought up a few times before. The size of the rebuild that is needed is potentially not a one-year rebuild. And I think we're at the stage that we're going to have to accept that. When you look at the number of players that are going out the door and the number of players we're going to need to bring in, that's going to be very difficult to get right in one transfer window. Not only do we need to find them, we need to sign them, we need to integrate them into a squad and we need to find a way of making potentially 10 new players play together. That is very difficult and that sort of thing doesn't happen overnight. On top of that, it's going to be a new manager. It's going to be a new captain. We're going to lose a lot of leaders from that dressing room. This is a very, very big task and it's so important that the manager we get in, hopefully Eddie Howe, is capable of achieving that. The time he's got to do it is going to be a massive challenge. All I can hope is that as the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. How is already, in all but legal terms, signed up to, to be our next manager and has started planning already? I hope that the minute he is in the door... He is ready to go, not just in identifying players. I hope that's already been done. I hope he's been watching us for the last few months. I hope he's been speaking to John Kennedy and identified the areas in the squad that are going to need improved and players brought in. And I hope that we have a list of people that we are ready to go out and get the minute that the new manager gets in the door. Because we need these players in sooner rather than later so that Howe can start working with them so that we can start getting an integrated team ready for the Champions League qualifiers. Because before we know it, and how many times has it happened, we're going to go into a qualifier with a makeshift defence. It's going to be Valston and Welsh and Henry. Beaton, I know. And again, it's this makeshift team and... 
The frustrating thing is, is that it didn't need to be this rushed. I know it's been a big task, but Lennon's been gone for nearly 10 weeks now. We could have had, if we'd really wanted, since January to start preparing for next season if we'd just made some decisions a bit quicker. So there was no need for it to be this this rushed. And the real concern is that we've tried, we're going to try and do an impossible amount of work in a short period of time. We're not going to hit the ground running when we need to. And that you're just going to start seeing that momentum swing further in the wrong direction. And we need to be pulling it back. We need to hit the ground running the minute this season kicks off. And we've not even started yet. We've not even started, and you know, just listening to you there, Natasha, I'm thinking back to those kind of early months of the year where it was obvious. I mean, Eddie Howe's on the screen right now being linked to the Crystal Palace job. It was mm-hmm. absolutely obvious to Celtic supporters watching this unfolding that, you know, big, big changes had to be made. But the, the thing that concerns me most, having attended that fans forum and seen some of the members of the people within the confines of the boardroom uh, in action, they actually didn't see it coming. This is my biggest concern. They thought, and maybe that was because they were drunk on success or because they were used to this football club who were on their own specific journey and, you know, but all had a, a good laugh at their expense and the hedge at Brecon and everything else that's happened. They will never catch us. We were so far ahead. And this was the attitude and the complacency. And I remember saying quite early on, we've become um, fat and lazy and arrogant and got loads of stick for saying it. But I wasn't calling anybody fat because of their appearance. I meant, this is how I felt the Celtic boardroom was. It was lacking the creativity. It was lacking that initiative. Um, it, it really was. And I think that now that we're looking back on it, it's easy to say, yeah, we were absolutely spot on there. You know, they're so out of touch. Now, what that then uh, concerns me about is the fact that one man coming in, i.e. Dominic Mackay, would need to be some character in order to, to change the culture. So you've got the culture, we've spoken about that as well, of a football club. What about the culture of a boardroom? Where, you, you know, they're so complacent that they don't make the changes, Natasha, because everything will be okay because we're Celtic and, you know, we're dominating and we're rich. Everything will be fine because, you know, their, their challenge isn't real. Well, it is real. They won over 100 points this season. They absolutely yeah. destroyed Celtic this season. And going back to not just the complacency of the boardroom, but last Wednesday was a very, very interesting discussion, which you were part of, where the great Pantheon won eight, um, who spoke as though he had some kind of inside track on Neil Lennon's thinking. Um, he also, I felt, was very complacent around about the real challenge. Now, that challenge, the signs of that challenge didn't happen this season. The signs of that challenge happened in the League Cup final when Julien scored a winner against the running play mm. when we were under the cosh for most of the game. And, you know, and, and no other occasion I can remember as a Celtic fan did a goalkeeper play such a part in a victory as Fraser Foster did that day. The mm-hmm. signs were there then that this Rangers team were sussing out how to beat Neil Lennon Celtic's side. And it has continued kind of since then. Now, people might say that was one game, we still won the league, we still won the nine, we still won the treble. 
They did. But what happened was that gave them a jag in the arm. That gave them the momentum to believe in the confidence, um, to believe what Steven Gerrard was telling them. We can actually beat this side. We can topple them. We can win the league. They started believing it and they started showing it on the park. So the, the actual rot had set in long, long time before this season. And I think that's a lot of that is down to the complacency. Did you get that yourself from last Wednesday's discussion, Natasha? Yeah, I did. And it speaks to the complacency across the club, really. And it's it's so frustrating to say Celtic should have been so aware of how important this season was to the fans. We've been going on about it for nine years. The board were in no doubt how much the fans wanted 10 in a row. They knew that. What they should have done was put beyond doubt that Celtic were going to achieve that. Not just be sure that we were going to win it, put it absolutely beyond doubt. And they failed to do that. They failed to appoint the right manager and then from there it just filtered down. We've signed the wrong players. The manager didn't manage to get a performance out of the team, but it started at the top. It started with the board's failure to put beyond doubt the fact that we would beat Rangers this season. And like you said, the warning signs were there. We warned them not to fall asleep at the wheel and it's almost exactly what we did. Mm -hmm. That cup final we got away with. In hindsight, if we hadn't won that cup final, would that have given the board the shot in the arm they needed to recognise the threat of Rangers and go out and address it? On the other hand, I think what they would argue, and certainly what our friend Pandey had argued on Wednesday night, is that they did address it. On paper, Celtic summer transfer window was what we were looking for. They got in that big no-nonsense centre-half in Shane Duffy. They sorted out the left-back position by getting a, a full-back from Milan on loan. They got El Yunusi back, you know, apparently £15 million player. They kept their best player in Edward. They kept another best player in Ayer. So they did address, they signed another striker at £5 million or however much he was in a Yeti. They did address the key issues. So the board could sit back and say, we did what we thought we needed to do in the summer to win 10 in a row. They got it wrong. They got it completely wrong. Um, it started with the manager. It's then progressed onto the players, but they got it wrong. And that's where they need to have a bit of ownership and not sit in these fans' forums meetings and say, you know what, we tried, it was a bad season, we'll chalk it up, pay us more money. And I don't think there's been any ownership from the club or any... Apology from the club that their bad decision making really let the fans down this season. You're right. They're absolutely spot on, and that's what concerns me. That the, the same decision making um, may go awry this preseason, and I'm not trying to be negative, um, but they did seem to place a huge amount of the blame on Celtic fans not being in the stadium and the impact of COVID. And I think time and time again, yourself and Amy primarily were pointing out that you know all clubs had to deal with the same scenario. Now, on the one hand, we go on about the Celtic support and how we're famed throughout the land and, and further afield, Natasha, for what we bring to the club. And we have managed to defeat against the odds time and time again over the years, um, European nights at Celtic Park. And there was a time where it was a fortress and people didn't want to come and play us. We could beat teams like Barcelona and we could go on and the great nights that we've had. And a big part of that, undoubtedly, is down to that energy, that atmosphere um, that is created by the Celtic fan base. 
100% I get that but in terms of um, trying to um, attribute responsibility or shift blame if you like you can't just use those two um, examples as being the reasons why we fell so short this season um, one of the other things that's coming through on your point uh, Martin O'Neill it could well be Marty, um, that used to manage the club a wee while ago. Chelsea Spurs and Liverpool seemingly have all agreed. Yes, he's talking about, Martin is talking about getting the fans' representation in the boardroom. Um, again, it doesn't necessarily mean you've got a place on the board, but you are assisting that liaison between the fans and the club to say this is a good idea, this is what the fans are saying. So, yeah, I think it's the, the way forward. Um, another thing I've, I've uh, mentioned a few times is that as well as the supporters, and we've obviously been suffering for the last year, a lot of the ex-players, Natasha, have also been suffering. And where would Celtic be without our ex-players? And I think that one of the things, if I do get the opportunity, and if I don't, then I'll make the opportunity um, to make the point that Celtic really need to embrace and modernise the former players' association. Because I've heard some horror stories about players who have played for Celtic with distinction um, successfully over a period of uh, years and decades even in some cases uh, and these players really suffering through the last year and you ask yourself what do we as a club do for them well the answer is not a great deal and that is the whole function or one of the main functions of a former players association again we're going into this engagement Natasha there's a lot of Celtic players who feel and have felt disengaged with the club for a long long time um, just to give you an example I did a book launch back in 2013 up at, the, up at the Celtic Park and some of the players had never been back since they left the club and, and I'm talking decades um, had passed and they'd never been back at the club um, so I'm going to give you an example so one of the examples is from Fermlin Athletic. So that arrived this morning, and that is the former Players Association monthly magazine that we get because we actually contribute to the, the former Players Association, a Celtic state of mind do. Um, now, what they ask for is they ask for 20 quid a year. The Dunfermline former Players Association asks for 20 quid a year, and they look after their former players for 20 quid a year. So they, they obviously have a lot of members. And if you are a former player, they make sure you get into the games for nothing. They make sure that you get you get um, hospitality treatment um, throughout the season. Not every game, um, but they also ensure that you get invited to club events. They make you feel as though you are part of this community of ex-players. And also, though, if you're struggling in terms of your mental health, addiction problems, uh, you need a you need a, an operation and it would assist your life and make your life a lot better if it was done privately rather than having to sit, sit in a waiting list, Natasha, they will assist. It's time for Celtic to modernise what we have as an FPA and look after our ex-players as well. And that's something I think collectively as, as Axon, we're going to be pushing for that moving forward as well, Natasha. Yeah, just want to echo all of that. Couldn't agree more. Um, when you look at the club and when all the fans sit back and think of what are the values of the club, what is the ethos of the club, what do we want our club to stand for, then I absolutely believe that looking after our own and looking after our ex-players is very, very highly up there. So definitely a cause I support. Um, particularly one incident comes to mind for me, which made me think 
a lot about how the club treat our ex-players is that I was in an area of the club after the game having a drink and Pat Bonner was at the next table also having a drink. The club stewards came and removed Pat Bonner from the bar because he didn't have the correct pass on. He didn't have the right pass to be in that section of the stadium. Now, for me and for all the fans round about, they were saying that Pat Bonner should be allowed anywhere in the stadium that he wants to be. He's one of our own. He's an ex-player and we should be looking after him. But no, while sitting, having a drink at the table, he was asked to leave. Everybody round about offered him their own pass. Um, But no, he was actually made to leave the area until he could go and sort a pass out. And that, for me, is just awful. And that is not how we should be treating our ex-players. And certainly more needs to be done from from a Celtic perspective and making sure that we do look after our own players. Taking that example you just gave there, making sure that they all have access, hospitality access to every game. Why not if they want it? Um, so, so yeah, that one that one for me is certainly about how we, how we deal with our players. That's incredible. I mean, Pat Bonner, Jockstein's last signing uh, at Celtic, uh, he made over 600 appearances for the club over two decades. That's incredible to hear that story. That's the first time I've heard it. I mean, what I would expect is any Celtic player, any XL or a widow of an XL should be able to turn up at the reception at Celtic Park and be led down to a wee office which is um, inhabited by the FPA and they can talk in confidence or they can meet up X amount of times a week in the park, in the stadium, in one of the lounges that isn't being used uh, during the week, Natasha. Uh, and, you know, there would be someone a liaising. I mean, how many liaison officers would you require for ex-players if we've only got one for our millions of fans all over the world? We've got one liaison officer for the fans. Um, you wouldn't require more than one liaison officer for ex-players. And I think it's something the club really needs to look at. Now, David Mm -hmm. Turnbull, when we look back on this season and we think, well, what do we remember positively about this season? I don't think anyone would argue that David Turnbull is one of those. We went for the 10, we lost the 10, but we found a 10 in David Turnbull. (laughs) Um, He has been named the PFA Young Player of the Year. Surely he will be named in Steve Clark's squad for the Euros, Natasha. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think he must. Um, when you look at some of the players that have had to drop out of the squad, McBurney and McLean, and there are gaps there. I know James Forrest will go in and fill one, but I think that when you look at what Turnbull's achieved this season, Turnbull has to be one of the names in that squad, um, and I'm sure he will be. I Maybe controversially, I was surprised that he was named Young Player of the Season. Um, I was surprised at the shortlist, first of all, and I was surprised that Turnbull won it. Um, Turnbull, for us, has absolutely been a shining light of the season. He, it's been one of the only positives and seeing him come through does give us a glimmer of hope for next season that we do have one player there who has the potential to go on and be the first name on your team sheet. But he also he only played half of a season, not his fault probably the fault of the, the last management team. He only played half a season. He had a couple of very, very good games at the start of when he started to break through. Then to me, he did go off the boil a bit, but largely so did the whole team. For me, what Turnbull has is bags of potential. Mm. Loads and loads of potential. And a new, a new manager, someone like Eddie Howe, I think can get a really, really, really good player out of Turnbull. And I think he does have the potential to go on and be like our next Stuart Armstrong. He's not there yet, but what's exciting for me about Turnbull is that I see that potential in him and I hope that he can go on and achieve that. 
But yeah, in terms of the Scotland squad, he has to be in there. He does. You know, we talk about uh, unearthing talent and, you know, developing players. And when you look at David Turnbull and what he's done in a relatively short space of time at Celtic, you think to yourself, well, he is one of these homegrown talents, not homegrown and such that it came through our academy. But, you know, um, we've got to look at the Scottish market for various other reasons we've already discussed. And I think he's the shining example of what can happen if you scout the market properly. Um, it came up again last week in the same discussion that you were part of whereby there was a claim that the reason Neil Lennon didn't play him for a large section of the season was it was part of his recuperation um, but you know I have also Axelm also understands that um, in actual fact the transfer of Turnbull and the fact that uh, we were determined to get him even when that injury was flagged up during the medical was that there was a real paranoia by Peter Lowell and others that we were going to miss out on Turnbull and there would be a, a McGinn-like kind of issue whereby there's a Scottish talent who may you know, get back to full fitness and go and prove himself elsewhere. Um, so in terms of him being a Neil Lennon signing... I'm not sure. I don't. I can't say for certain that he was a player that Neil Lennon was looking to sign and thereafter um, decided to uh, play sparingly due to his recuperation. I didn't buy that at all. No, me neither. It sounds like a great excuse for someone who was trying to point the finger of blame at this season at anyone other than Neil Lennon. Um, I simply think that Lennon, Kennedy, Strachan didn't give enough opportunity to players like Turnbull and Sorrow. I think that was it. I think they realised far too late mm -hmm. that we needed to mix it up a bit. I think that they decided to stick with the tried and tested team, that tried and tested midfield. There was a lot of sentimentality about the refusal to drop Brown and I think it was that reason that Turnbull and Sorrow didn't get their chance. I think that's the only reason and once they did start to get their chance then we saw the benefits of that. For some reason Sorrow dropped off a bit, but Turnbull was sort of kept in and around the squad. Um, obviously, with Brown now departing, Christie likely departing, we're hope probably going to see over the summer and the qualifiers at the start of the new season, Sorrow and Turnbull, perhaps, hopefully with McGregor being the real sort of shore of that midfield. Well, you mentioned Scott Brown, so that was a nice bit of linkage. You were one of few that actually seen live his final game for Celtic. It was a disappointing game. It was a, a bit of a, a boring end of season kind of pace. Uh, not a great way for Scott Brown to bow out, but... Regardless of what happened this season, um, you've got to look at Scott Brown as being a modern-day legend of Celtic Football Club. And it will be interesting to see him coming back as an Aberdeen player. Um, interesting enough, Shea Logan has left the building, but that's probably because Bruni has joined um, and chased him out the building. Uh, when you look at Scott Brown, do you think we should have done more to keep him at the club? And I don't mean as a player playing 40 games a season, Natasha. I think... In these uncertain times, he would have been a good influence on the changes around about Celtic Park in terms of the amount of people that are coming in that don't know the club, that don't get the club. I mean, we use Tommy Burns as an example, not comparing Brown to Burns. What I'm talking about is he used to explain to Celtic players coming to the club what the club was about, what the standards were, what the culture was. One story I heard, um, it was actually at a Tommy Bond supper and it was uh, Alan Ruff was telling the story that he got a move to Celtic very late in his Celtic career, in his football career rather, where he moved from Osasuna 
to Celtic very late. So he'd had his career with Thistle and Hibs and he was no longer playing for Scotland. But Celtic had a crisis in terms of the goalkeeper because the aforementioned Pat Bonner was injured. And we brought in Ian Andrews and it wasn't working. We brought in Alan Ruff. And Alan Ruff went up to Celtic Park and it wasn't a director and it wasn't a manager who was waiting for him at the front door to welcome to their club. It was Tommy Burns. So when I'm thinking about Brown, Scott Brown, I'm thinking he knows this club, having been there for Mm -hmm. 14 years, he knows the ins and outs of this club. And I still think we might rue the decision not to keep him there for at least another season. Oh, yeah, I couldn't agree more. And it's something I've said on here plenty of times that Scott Brown is going to be a massive loss off the pitch. Um, In terms of what was offered to him and what Aberdeen offered, for some reason, the Aberdeen role was preferred to him. He said that it was the right time, a new challenge, that assistant manager's role. Clearly, whatever Celtic offered wasn't appealing enough to Scott Brown and ultimately it was his decision. That leaves me to consider what did Celtic offer and why wasn't it appealing enough? But, you know, that's a debate that we'll never know. Scott Brown, I think, would have been invaluable going over this sort of transition period. This period of instability that we're we're coming up to, the amount of players going out, the amount of players coming in, we're losing our CEO, we're losing our manager, we're losing our captain. That stabling presence would have been Scott Brown and it'll be so missed and just making sure that the players integrate. You've listened to him over the last few, you know, the last week of the interviews he's done. He seems to have been absolutely vital in keeping that group of players together, even through the pandemic, checking in, making sure everyone was okay, creating that bond, making sure there's that real team spirit in the dressing room. With so many new players coming in, that's going to be a difficult task, especially without Scott Brown. Callum McGregor, James Forrest, yes, they will be there, but they are not the characters and the personalities and the type of person and player that Scott Brown is. And I think he is going to be an absolutely huge loss. Um, Of course, it was his decision, so wish him all the best at Aberdeen. But I think Celtic will rue not offering him enough to make him turn down that Aberdeen offer. I just look upon it, like you say there, it's almost as if we've lost three heads of department all Mm -hmm. in one full swoop. Peter Lowell, Neil Lennon, Scott Brown. And if there was one that could have stayed... I reckon that, you know, Scott Brown could have. And, you know, someone is, is coming in. Actually, we've got a, a comment here from the underwater cabbage salesman. Welcome to the show. Uh, no, Scott Brown was physically past it. Mm. Uh, Robbie Smith points out that he still wanted to carry on playing. He wouldn't get that at Celtic. I think, you know, he wouldn't certainly be getting 40 games a season, Natasha, but he could have been there as part of uh, the yeah. squad. That's it. We're not saying that he's going to have an influence in the middle of the park every game. I wouldn't have him playing every game. You know, maybe 10 minutes at the end here or there, maybe 20 minutes, maybe a full game from time to time. He would have been part of the squad. But I'm not saying it's his presence on the pitch we're going to miss. But we will. We'll miss that to an extent. But where the massive, massive loss is going to be is his presence off the pitch. Yeah, definitely. Now, interesting enough, there's a lot of comments coming up saying that Frank Lampard will be named the manager of Crystal Palace. What if another um, uh, ex-England midfielder uh, is named the manager of Crystal Palace? Because when you look at the situation over the weekend... um, you know, interestingly enough, almost prophetically, uh, Dominic Mackay was calling Rangers the noisy neighbours. Well, they were pretty noisy. Why am I talking about that in a Celtic state of mind? Well, it could affect Celtic because they're talking about strict liability for football clubs because of the scenes at the weekend. And you're sitting and thinking to yourself, well, it wasn't us. But when you look at these large scale um 
situations of disorder, then they're going to use it as a blanket. Natasha, if any changes are made in terms of liability for such um, carnage, because that's what it was, they'll start hitting clubs and it'll be full liability, strict liability, which means that you then tar everybody with the same brush. I mean, what I would I would implore everybody out there to do is Andrew Smith. Andrew Smith is a fantastic writer and uh, a very uh, lovely human being. I've had the, the privilege of meeting him as well. He wrote a fantastic piece in The Scotsman. He wrote an article, and it was all around Rangers, the superiority syndrome. Have a read of it, because he is on point. He gets it um, absolutely spot on, Natasha, because we're not just talking about something getting out of hand. This is, this is you know, deeply um, inbuilt belief systems in a group of people, um, whereby there is no self-reflection on this, by the way, by the club or anyone else who was involved. This is anti-Irish and anti-Catholic hatred um, on a massive scale. And we've seen it uh, playing out uh, on social media and later on on the news. And we had a wee chat before we came online. The one thing I think that's come out of it is we're finally seeing the terminology being used anti-Irish and anti-Catholic. That's what this is. You can't just say that's sectarianism. And, you know, you can't just say Celtic are part of the problem. That was absolutely on show at the weekend. And if anything can be taken out of it, I think that that is the only positive. That We're now talking about the proper terminology. This is anti-Irish and anti-Catholic um, hatred that, that is on display every single day of the week. We see it mm-hmm. not just in football, you see it in this country, in the workplace, you see it in the street, you see it in public, and you see it on social media time and time again. Um, Anthony Joseph of Sky Sports mm. tweeted out the other day that he had reported some violations to Twitter, and they weren't even um, deemed mm-hmm. appropriate um, to have violated Twitter's rules. Yeah. So there needs to be a change in attitude around this, isn't there, Natasha? I think that's right, and like we talked about off-air and on-air, the only positive we can take from this is that now people, politicians, journalists, the police are starting to realise that this isn't something that you know they can simply brush aside the sectarianism. They're starting to use the proper language. They're starting to call it out for what it is. It is anti-Catholic. It is anti-Irish. And they're starting to use those terms. And that's a small step forward in having it dealt with appropriately. And I hope we do go forward and see it dealt with appropriately. There is this horrible lingering narrative that, oh, it's just a minority and they're not real fans anyway. That's just not an acceptable narrative to try and peddle by saying that, oh, they're not real fans anyway. That's just an attempt by one group to distance themselves from a horrible element of their group by saying they're not part of this group anyway. That's a failure to take ownership of a problem that's symptomatic of your group and symptomatic of the wider society we can't have that sort of brush aside oh it's just a minority what we need is for everyone to take account and to acknowledge that this is a significant problem within a group and within society and deal with it properly and only by having everyone deal with it like that face on accept it for what it is call it out are we going to start to see it eradicated? And until we do that and until we start dealing with it properly, it won't be. This weekend, I think we've seen a slight shift in seeing it, the beginnings of it being dealt with properly, but let's just hope that that's followed through. See, when you look at that um, unfolding, and unless you're part of, uh, and it's often called the goldfish bowl of um, you know, Glasgow, 
in terms of the Celtic Rangers divide. And you're looking uh, from afar. I don't think people realise the extent of the issue up here. Um, and a lot of players are shocked when they come up to Scotland. And a lot of them can't handle it. And a lot of them don't perform for the respective sides as a result of these issues. One concern, I guess, would be that um, it's going to be hard to attract anyone into that goldfish pool because Celtic are constantly tarred with this, you know, this tag um, that uh, we are, for some reason, part of um, something. Obviously, the tweet came out, we're not uh, half of anything. But, uh, you know, when it comes down to broadcasting, for example, the broadcasters want Celtic and Rangers. If it ever comes down to a British Super League, that league will want Celtic and Rangers. Um, If you're someone who is a football manager looking at the job at Celtic, does this... Does this actually change your view on coming up? Do you think it becomes less of an attractive proposition? I'd hope not, but you hear um, you hear people talk about it. One springs to mind is Paul Lambert, who says that he wouldn't come back to this Glasgow bubble. And yeah, imagine you're Eddie Howe sitting, wherever he may be right now, looking at the horrible scenes we saw in Glasgow over the weekend. Do you want to move into that environment? Do you want to bring your family to that environment? <laughs> I obviously hope that it doesn't change his perception, but as an outsider looking in, as he is, I just worry that this perception of Glasgow and of Scotland is completely tarnished by an element of of support who behave like they did at the weekend. And it's not only a horrible reflection on Rangers fan base, it's a horrible reflection on Scottish football fans and Scotland as a whole, not just to potential managers like Eddie Howe, but to any visitor looking to come to Scotland. Just has to look at those scenes from over the weekend and it's it's a horrible indictment of where our society's at and we really need to eradicate it. Yeah. The world is watching. The world was watching, Natasha. Mm. And it didn't make for good viewing, that's for sure. Mm. Now, it's been an absolute pleasure, even though we were stood up by Lawrence. He may come back next week. I'll need to see if his um, diary allows that, Natasha. Let's see what the next week holds. We could be sitting here talking about a new appointment. Let's hope that is the case, and let's hope that it's Eddie Howe. Thank you, everybody, for getting involved on the YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook channels. And thank you, Natasha Miko, for joining me on A Celtic State of Mind. This week, Patrizia Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on the difficult task of building and retaining consumer trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. The best thing for us to do is to build a relationship with our consumers. And if those consumers have a relationship with the DJs that are on air, then we want to build on that. House of the Dragon, which was one of our most successful, if not the most successful campaign we've ever done for a show, audio was a core part of that. 
As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. Not just a media company, iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Sports Social Podcast Network. 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 Network.